Good morning. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Our text for today is Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Is that correct? Okay, just making sure. Um, if you are looking in the blue Bible that's in the front of uh, the seat front in front of you, um, it is going to be on page 585. And if you do not have a Bible, you may take that with you. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Thus says God's word. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. That it has... Um, for the benefit of your church. Lord, thank you for the encouragement. Thank you for the the incredible promises that we have in your word. And my prayer this morning, uh, Lord, is that is that you would do what only you can do, that you would take your word and allow it to uh, take root in our hearts and produce a harvest. I pray, Lord, that you would you would cause growth in in each one of our hearts this morning, that we would uh, hear your word, that we would be changed by your word, that we would be obedient to your word, joyfully obedient to your word. I pray that you would speak through me clearly this morning, and that you would glorify yourself through the proclamation of your word. May you be glorified, may the church be edified this morning, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys can be seated. You guys hear me okay? All right, well, it's it's good to have the few of you that could make it this morning. As expected, we have a, a smaller crowd today, and that's okay. I trust a lot of you are probably listening and watching online this morning, and so I want to welcome all of you as well. We're glad that you're listening with us. Uh, before I start, I'm really blessed and excited to have my parents here with us this morning, Scott and Leslie Walt. They are two of the missionaries that we have been supporting for years. They live and work in Austria, in Europe, not Australia, but Austria, a different country. They have been serving the Lord there faithfully since 1988. Uh, and it is uh, such a blessing to have them. They have been locked out of the country the last couple of years because of COVID. They have not been able to come and visit. And so it's a blessing, of course, for my family, uh, but it's a blessing for us as a church that we get to have them. And you'll be hearing a lot more from them next Sunday. And so I, I want to put this out now that my dad will be preaching next Sunday and will be sharing about the work that is happening in Austria and we'll be sharing about how you're a part of that work. And so I want to encourage you to come 
and uh, and and be there for that. That'll be next Sunday. So, so yesterday was the beginning of a brand new year, 2022, right? Which is it's always exciting in some ways to start a new year. We we tend to think of you know what what may happen, and typically around New Year's, I, I think it's common that we tend to think about things we want to do better, right? How, how can I be, how can I be better? How can I live better than the year before? How can this year be better than last year? How can I, how can I be healthier this year? How can I be more productive this year? How can I be more spiritual this year? And so with New Year's comes oftentimes a, a heavy emphasis on self-improvement or self-betterment. Now, I certainly don't think that it's wrong to set goals for a new year, to, to, to reflect on the upcoming year, to cast vision for a new year. I think those things are good. But my concern is that this idea of of bettering myself, self-betterment, especially spiritual self-betterment, is an absolute contrast to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what I mean is that as believers, as followers of Jesus, our foundation must never be on what we can do to be better to be more spiritual, to be holier, to be more righteous. But our foundation must always be on what has Christ done on our behalf. The gospel, the gospel of Jesus is not about what have I done? What can I do? The gospel is always about what has Christ done on behalf of his people. In John 15, Right? Famous passage. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches, right? Most of us know that. I am the vine. You are the branch. But, but what I want you to see is that the exhortation in John 15 to believers is not to bear much fruit. The exhortation in John 15 to believers is to abide in the vine. And then Jesus says, you will bear much fruit. And so the fruit is produced not from just increased effort or trying harder, but the fruit is produced from abiding in Christ, abiding in the vine. And my concern is that sometimes we can be more concerned with producing fruit and and living fruitful life than actually abiding in Christ, right? And so with that in mind, I want to exhort us, I want to encourage us as we think about a new year, as we as we think about 2022, I want to encourage us not you know not not to exercise more, eat better, or save more money or not even to do more spiritual things. But as, as Hebrews tells us, to fix our eyes on Jesus, to fix our eyes on Christ. What, what we need for this new year, right, that's a good question. You know, what, what do I need for this new year? What we need for this year 
is the same that we need for every year and the same that we'll need for next year and the year to follow. And that is to look to Jesus, to fix our eyes on Christ, as the author of Hebrews tells us to do. Now, the book of Hebrews, if you're not familiar with it, and, and if you're not, I encourage you to to dive into and study this book. It's so valuable. But the book of Hebrews was most likely written to Jewish Christians who were being persecuted as they attempted to break away from Old Covenant Judaism, right? So if, if we read the Gospels and we read the book of Acts, the vast majority of the Jews rejected Jesus as the Messiah, right? And so these Jews are still waiting for their Messiah. They're thinking he's, he's still coming sometime in the future. And so as they wait for their Messiah, they continue to go to the temple and they continue to offer animal sacrifices for their sins. And so if you were a Jew then who's saying, hey, all of this is over, right? We don't need the temple anymore to worship God. We don't need to offer these animals for our sins anymore because Christ has fulfilled all of that. If you were saying things like that, then you were going to face serious persecution by both the Jews and the Roman Empire. And so Hebrews then, it's written to these Jews as they're coming out of or, or breaking away from Old Covenant Judaism who are being persecuted. And the author then goes to great lengths to show how Jesus is so much better and superior to the Old Covenant system. So Jesus is better and superior to angels. Jesus is greater and superior to Moses. Jesus is the perfect, ultimate sacrifice for sin. Jesus is the perfect high priest. Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant. And the author takes 10 chapters, chapter 1 through 10, to show without a shadow of a doubt how Jesus is superior and better in every way, right? No argument. Jesus is just better. We got to celebrate a wedding last night. That's actually why this kind of fancy display is up here. They didn't put this up just for me preaching. This is from the wedding last night. Uh, but we got to celebrate the marriage of Cameron and Raven. And I was thinking about marriage um, and the transition from being engaged to being married. And marriage is better than engagement, right? So there's there's some exciting things when you get engaged, right? It, it's It's an exciting time. But marriage, being married is better than being engaged in every possible way. So I can, I can guarantee you that Raven and Cameron are not sitting around this morning saying, man, being engaged was better, right? They're, they're guaranteed not saying that. Marriage is superior in every way. And so the author of Hebrews is making this point, chapters 1 through 10, that Christ is better. Christ is superior in every way. And then in chapter 11, he highlights the faith of those who have gone before us and set an example for us. 
And then based on these 11 chapters, his exhortation for Christians is to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and to run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, looking to Christ. So the author of Hebrews compares this Christian life that we're in to running in an endurance race. Now, this endurance race is not one where we have to win first place, where, where I've got to run faster than the other guys. So I've got I to gotta run faster than Jason so that I can win the prize, right? But, but the picture here is a race where we need to finish, right? And if we finish the race then we win the prize. And so if we don't give up, if we don't quit, then we win. Now, how many of you have ever competed in some kind of endurance race? Any of you? Some of you have. Now, um, those of you that have can attest to this. Endurance races are not always fun, right? Uh, I got an amen on that. That's good. I, I would amen that as well. And, and typically at some point or oftentimes many points, you feel like quitting. You feel like stopping and giving up, right? I got to, I got to run a race with, uh, Justin Kime this summer. It was, uh, it was a obstacle course race and we actually ran the race inside of Cowboy Stadium, inside of AT&T Stadium. So they set up obstacles all over the stadium. And you have to, you know, you know, you, you, you start in the bleachers and you run to the top, you go all the way down, you're going through all the tunnels, you go onto the field, you go all the way back up to the top, all the way back down. And, and I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say we ran about a billion stairs that day. It, it was awful. Um, but there was one point, especially in the race, where, where you get to guess what? More stairs. But before you go up, you have to pick up like a 60-pound sandbag, and then you have to carry that as you go up all these stairs and then back down. And it was right about that point in the race where I thought, I signed up to do this. Like, I, in fact, I actually paid money to do this. What, you know, what was I thinking? And it would have been a lot easier at that point and a lot less painful to just stop and be done, right? That would have been the easy and comfortable thing to do. It takes both physical and mental endurance, perseverance to finish a race. And in the same way, we are exhorted in Hebrews 12 to run this race of the Christian life with endurance, with perseverance. And so the message then to us as believers is, Keep running. Keep running. Don't give up. That's the message. Now, there will be weight that we need to cast off, right? There will be sin that needs to be laid aside so that it doesn't ensnare us, entangle us, and keep us from running. If you're running a long race, the absolute last thing that you want is extra weight to carry, right? Um, you know, that, that 60-pound sandbag, if, if I'd had to carry that the whole race, I would have never made it, 
never finished it. it would have been would have been toast and so the last thing that we need as we're running is extra weight to carry and we certainly wouldn't want anything on us or around us that would ensnare us entangle us trip us up keep us from running so as christians then we have to identify the things in life that are extra weight we have to identify the sin that would entangle us and we must cast it off lay it aside as hebrews says we have to get rid of it otherwise we won't be able to keep running and then keep running until you finish the race, right? Keep going until you finish the race. I don't know when the finish line's coming. I know there's a finish line. Could be tomorrow. Could be 50 years. I don't know. Uh, but I know that I need to keep running with endurance the race set before me until I reach the finish. And so... If this is what we're called to do as believers, then the question is, how can I, as a follower of Jesus, run with endurance? How do I do that? What is it that's going to get us across the finish line? What is it that's going to allow me or help me not to quit and not to give up? Right? That's an important question as we look at this text. So, so let's go back to our text. The author says, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. Now, it's, it's possible that we could read this text and assume that as Christians, we need to throw off our sin that entangles so that we might be able to look to Jesus and fix our eyes on him, right? And so I need to, I need to get my sin under control and I need to cast my sin away so that I can look to Christ. But that would be the same thing as telling a sick person that they need to get healthy before they go visit the doctor. That would be like telling the branch that it needs to be fruitful before it can abide in the vine. And so we don't cast off our sin so that we're able to look to Christ, but it's precisely by fixing our eyes, fixing our hearts on Christ, that we are enabled to cast our sin away. Or put another way, we overcome sin by seeing and beholding the person and work of Jesus Christ more clearly. So Hebrews 12, we're told to lay aside our sin, cast it away by looking to Christ. If, if we look at Romans 8, in Romans 8, Paul tells us that we are to put our sin to death by the Spirit. Right? Put our death, put our sin to death by the Spirit. And I would contend that these two passages are telling us the same thing. So let's, let's look at this Romans 8, 13. Uh, and Paul in Romans 8 is contrasting life in the flesh versus life 
in the spirit. This is what he says in Romans 8.13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body or sin. So deeds of the body means our sin. If, if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, this may sound like it's saying something entirely different than Hebrews 12. So Hebrews 12, we have, we have lay aside your sin by looking to Jesus. Romans 8, we have put your sin to death by the Spirit. And so we may think, well, that's, that's not talking about the same thing at all. But it's important that we remember and understand what the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is, right? And so as believers, when when the Holy Spirit indwells us, when we receive the Holy Spirit, it's not like Peter Parker getting his radioactive spider bite that all of a sudden he has these crazy superpowers, right? You may chuckle at that a little bit, but oftentimes that's how we teach the Holy Spirit, Hey, if you get the Holy Spirit, then you're going to get to do all these super cool things and have all these super cool powers. And that's the purpose of the Spirit, to give you all these superpowers. Now, this Holy Spirit certainly gives gifts, right? The Scripture affirms that. But the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is to help you see clearly the person and work of Christ and to make his person and work a reality in your heart. So the Holy Spirit takes the work and person of Christ and applies it to your heart. So we look at John 15 and some of the best teaching on the Holy Spirit is John 14, 15 and 16. And John uh, the Apostle John in John fifteen twenty six puts it this way. He says that Jesus will send the Spirit to us from the Father, and the Spirit will bear witness about Christ. And so the Father sends the Helper in order to witness to us about Christ, in order to make Christ a reality in our hearts. And so we can put sin to death, we can cast sin away by the Spirit, because the Spirit helps us to see the glory, the beauty, and the worth of Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does. In other words, through the work of the Spirit, we are able to behold Christ for who He is, and Christ becomes more beautiful to us than our sin. That is how you put sin to death. Not by just, well, I gotta try harder. I gotta work harder. I need to join another accountability group. And if, if I do enough stuff, then I can put sin to death. That is, that is not how you put sin to death. Not by just trying harder, but by gazing more fully and trusting more fully in the worth and beauty of Christ. By looking to Jesus. So we don't lay aside or put to death sin. So all of that to say this. We don't lay aside or put to death sin so that we can look to Jesus. So that we're able to look to Jesus. But it's by fixing our eyes and our hearts on Christ can overcome 
and cast aside the sin that would weigh us down and keep us from running the race set before us. We see then in our text, while looking to Jesus, enables us to run with endurance. And the author of Hebrews then gives us three reasons here in the text. Number one, Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Secondly, Jesus endured the cross. And finally, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. So we want to look at each one of those briefly. The first reason we look to Christ is because he is both the founder and perfecter of our faith, the text tells us. Christ Christ is the founder of our faith. Other translations would say that Jesus is the author of our faith. Jesus is the source of our faith, the pioneer of our faith, or the originator of our faith. But what this means is that if you have demonstrated saving faith in Christ, it's because Christ gifted you that faith. It's a gift, right? So if we look at Ephesians 2... This is a very well-known passage. Most of us know Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Right? So there's the faith. We're saved through faith. Well, where does that faith come from? And Paul tells us, And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And so this grace by faith is a gift. Jesus authored... Jesus founded your faith, not you, not me, right? I'm not the one who just made faith appear in myself. Jesus gifted me faith. Jesus is the author of my faith. And that is really good news because if Jesus is the founder of our faith, then he will also sustain our faith and see it to completion. I I love this passage in Luke 22. Luke 22:31-32. This is such a good passage to memorize and meditate on when when you're feeling down, feeling discouraged. Luke 22, Jesus is speaking to Simon Peter as well as the other disciples. This is um very uh close to when Jesus is going to die. Listen to what he says. He says, "Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you." that he might sift you like wheat or shake you violently like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So, so don't miss this. Jesus knows that Peter is about to fail, right? Jesus knows that Peter is about to deny him. Three times. And Jesus knows that Satan desires to shake him violently so that his faith might be shipwrecked. But Jesus also knows that Peter's faith will not fail because he is the one who sustains that faith. And so he does for us. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And so we look to Christ because he is the source of our faith. And the very act of 
beholding Christ, fixing our eyes on Christ, strengthens and sustains our faith as we run. I see a, see a really good picture of this in the story of David and Goliath. That's a story that I'm guessing everyone is familiar with. And, and we've talked about this before, um, but most of us growing up in Sunday school, right, we've, we've, we've all heard this story, and the message is typically be more like David, right? Have more faith, and then you can defeat any enemy. You can defeat any giant in your life if you'll just have enough faith. Have more faith. Come on. What's wrong with you people? Just have more faith. You can do anything. And when we think about the story, though, and, and we try to put ourselves into this story, right? We're You and I, so if this shocks some of you, I'm sorry, but you and I aren't the hero of the story, right? David, David is a foreshadowing of Christ uh, and what Christ accomplished. So if we want to put ourselves into the story, then you and I, we're, we're the Israelite army who are hiding behind the tent. And we're shaking in fear because we're not even able to face the enemy, let alone defeat him. Right? But remember what happens in the story. The hero comes, and the hero fights on behalf of the people, and the hero overcomes and defeats the enemy, and then what happens to the people? What happens to the army? They're completely transformed, right? They see their hero overcome, and they're not hiding and shaking behind the tent anymore. They're charging the army full on, and they're routing them and defeating them completely, right? And that faith comes from looking to the hero, looking to the Savior. And so we look to Jesus, our hero, our Savior, because he's the giver of faith. He is the sustainer of faith. He strengthens our faith. And not only does he give and sustain faith, but the promise is that he will perfect our faith or he will bring it to completion. He'll bring it to completion. Jesus being the founder and perfecter of our faith is a promise to us that he will complete the work that he started. Right? He will complete it. This is what Paul has in mind in Philippians 1 verse 6. When he says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Right? Now, Paul doesn't say, Paul doesn't say, um, I'm hopeful of this, or I'm crossing my fingers for this, or I'm, I'm pretty sure of this. Right? He says, I am sure of this, that he who began the work will Bring it to completion. That is a promise. And so Jesus doesn't give us faith and then abandon us to our own strength. Right? So it's like parents, when you're teaching your kid to ride a bike, 
Um, some of some of you have probably done that. I've done that with a couple of my kids. But you're you're teaching your your kids to ride a bike, and so you know you're holding the bike, and you get a little bit of a running start with them, and you're kind of holding on to them, and you maybe give them a little push. But it, at some point, you have to let go of the bike, right? And then you just pray that they don't kill themselves. All right, that's that's kind of how it goes when you're teaching your kid to ride a bike. But that is not what Jesus does. For his sheep, right? Jesus doesn't say, okay, here's a little bit of faith. Now you're on your own. And man, I, I hope you make it. I don't, I don't know. You know, good luck. Um, hope, hope it works out. Um, that's, that's not what Jesus does for his church. He gives faith. He sustains faith and he will see it through to the end when we will stand face to face with him and we will be like him. Scripture says. We look to Jesus because he enables us to run the race. He sustains us during the race. And he will make absolutely sure that we finish the race. Second, we look to Jesus because he endured the cross, Hebrews tells us. We look to Jesus and are able to endure because of what he endured on our behalf. And so whatever temptation that we face in this life, Christ has faced greater temptation. Whatever sorrows we face, Christ has faced greater sorrows. Whatever suffering we may have to endure, Christ has endured greater suffering. And and we will never truly comprehend the amount of, of suffering that the perfect Son of God endured on the cross. But rest assured, it it is more than you and I will ever face or come close to facing. Jesus endured the most agonizing, painful, and shameful death that man could think of. But that was nothing compared to the Holy One of God bearing the full wrath of God, bearing the weight of sin on our behalf. And he endured all of that, Scripture tells us, for the joy that was set before him, which was doing the will of his Father by giving his life for the sheep. And so Jesus not only enables us to run and sustains us as we run, But he is our perfect example of how to run well. I've been blessed over the years by by reading some really good biographies of Christian men and women who have run their race well, who have endured well for the sake of Christ and finished their race well. I've been I have been greatly encouraged and blessed by the faith of people like John Bunyan, Adoniram Judson, Corey Tenboom, William Wilberforce, George Mueller, Bonhoeffer, Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, Martin Luther. Um, you know, the, the list goes on. But these were men and women who gave everything for the sake of Christ. Many of them gave their very lives for the sake of Jesus, and and reading and reflecting on their lives and their example challenges me to live more faithfully for the sake of Christ, right? 
And that's, that's a good thing. That's a blessing. But, but as great as, as these lives were, as good as an, as an example these people are, you know, these men and women were still imperfect sinners like you, like me. And they were looking not to themselves for strength, but they were looking to Christ as their example, their source of strength. And so, so by, by all means, I, I think it's, I think it's not just good, but I think it's necessary that we that we read about and study and look to the lives of other believers to be encouraged and strengthened in our faith. But let us always remember that there is one person who ran perfectly. There is only one who is the perfect example of enduring. There is only one who sustains us in our running, and that is Christ. And finally, we look to Jesus because he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Scripture tells us Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And that's important for at least at least two reasons. Number one, it means that the work of atonement, the work of redemption is finished. It's finished. It's done. In the Old Testament, the priests in the temple never sat down, ever. There were, there were no chairs in the temple to sit in. And the reason is because the work of the priest was never finished, right? There was never a point in the Old Covenant system where the priest could say, Hey, we're done. That was the last sacrifice. We don't need to do anymore, right? That that never happened. That never would have happened. But Christ, after his death and resurrection, ascended to heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father precisely because the work is finished. It's done. So if we look at Hebrews 10, 11 and 12, listen to what it says. It says, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And so Jesus is seated in heaven because no more sacrifice for sin is necessary. That's good news. The work is finished. It's completed. And secondly, Christ is seated at the right hand of God because that is the position of absolute authority. Right? This tells us that Christ has all authority. What did he say to his disciples right before he ascended? Matthew 28. He says, all authority All authority, not some or most, but all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. If we continue the Hebrews 10 passage into verse 13, it tells us that Christ sat down and is now waiting until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. And so Christ has all authority, and that's important because it means that he will accomplish everything that he has promised. 
everything. And so, you know, we don't read these texts and hope that Jesus will be able to sustain us and perfect our faith. We know that he will because he has promised to do it and he has all authority to accomplish his perfect will. And we finish then with verse 3. It says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And so here the author of Hebrews is, is repeating what he has already said, to consider Christ, to ponder, to meditate on Christ and his work, on what he's done, is an exhortation to look to Jesus, to fix your eyes on Jesus. And as we consider Christ, As we look to Christ, as we fix our gaze, our hearts on Christ, he will keep us from growing weary and he alone will keep us from quitting the race. He alone. There is all kinds of things that people look to to try to help them run and finish the race. But Christ alone will strengthen and sustain you and allow you and enable you to run the race and to finish the race. So again, we're at a new year, 2022. Here we go. We, we, you know, we don't know what 2022 is going to look like, right? If we've, if we've learned anything at this point, we've learned that we don't know what the next year is going to be like, right? Safe to say. So what do we need for a new year? What is it more than anything that we need as we begin this new year? And and listen, you know, if if you have goals to eat better, to be healthier, to exercise more, to read more, to pray more, you know, that's great. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. I hope I hope that you can meet and achieve some of those goals. But Please, please hear this. This idea of self-betterment. I'm going to make myself better. I'm going to make myself more spiritual. I'm going to, I'm going to make myself more holy, more righteous. That's, that's an illusion. We do not have the power to make ourselves better. We don't have the power, the ability to make ourselves more holy or more righteous or more godly. But if we will look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, if if we will abide in the vine, then we're promised, then we will bear much fruit. Then we will be able to run through this year, whatever it holds in store, and the next year, and the next year, and be faithful and not give up until we reach the finish line. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for sending your Son, sending Jesus. Thank you that we were able to celebrate that these past weeks. And thank you um, that through Christ, we are enabled to run this race that you have set before us. And we're not only able 
to run this race, but you have promised that you will see us to the finish line. You will finish what you've started. And it's, it's not up to our own strength or our own goodness or our own righteousness, but it's because of the righteousness that we have in Christ. And so, Lord, we, we give thanks for that. We, we praise you for that. We ask that you would, through your Spirit, help us, enable us this year to run well, to run with endurance, to run with perseverance. No matter, no matter what we face, no matter what this coming year holds, may we as a people, as a church, hold firmly to Christ and fix our eyes, fix our gaze, fix our hearts and minds on Christ in Christ alone. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, one of the most important ways as a body that we look to Jesus and fix our eyes and our hearts on Jesus is by coming to the table, the Lord's table together, right? So um, if I can, Gabe, do you mind coming up and helping Daryl? Could you uh, well, really, we'd, we'd probably just need one for this morning, but um, uh, as, we, as we take the bread this morning and take the cup, we are looking to Jesus. We're looking to Christ. We are considering him that we may not grow weary. And so we want to consider this morning his life and his death on our behalf, that he might become more precious in our sight, that our faith might be strengthened. And so, if you have trusted in Christ as your Savior, if you are looking to Christ as your Savior, as the founder and perfecter of your faith, then you are invited this morning to come up and partake of His body and His blood. And we're going to do that together as the body of Christ. So I want to invite you, uh, if you'll uh, come up and uh, take the elements and then go back to your seat, and we're going to take these together then, okay? So I will read the words of institution from 1 Corinthians 11, and we will then take the Lord's Supper together. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. In the same way, he also, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup together. Thank you, Lord. Now, if you'd put your hands in a receiving position, I'm going to read a benediction over you from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. 
It says, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen.